Hey everybody, this is Bryant Russ. It was such a gift to have a remote conversation with recent Holland Christian grad Jillian Doctor this past week. Jill graduated in 2019 and while at HC participated in just about everything from serving as VP of School Culture on Student Council to running cross country and track to playing an instrument. But I think, you know, what really stands out about Jill is her love for Jesus that comes out in her love for other people. Shortly after graduation, Jill served as a long-term volunteer at Beautiful Gate Orphanage in Lesotho, Africa. I think you'll really be blessed to hear just a part of that story today. I had to come face to face with a lot of brokenness and a lot of pain. So I'm, I'm more aware that the world is really broken, but with that, I'm more aware of how faithful God is and how faithful he can be in the middle of brokenness. How, how are you doing? Like, how's it being back? You've only been back for a couple of days, right? Was it the 24th you got back or what, what was yeah, it? Yeah. So I, I think it was, I came back last week, Wednesday. So I think I ended up being the 17th. Because I was supposed to come back on the 24th, and then we ended up having to move my flights a week early because of all of the craziness that's going on right now. Um, so I've been back for about a week now. Well, welcome home. I'm just excited <laughs> that we're able to do this. And how is your mom doing with, with elementary? I know it's probably a different <laughs> ball game. Yeah. So sending both, kids stuff, or what are they, do, what are they doing in that? Yeah, elementary? both of my parents teach. So it's been kind of fun to watch them like figure out this whole online teaching thing, but they've been having a lot of fun with it. My mom, I think yesterday was like green screening herself into time machine videos to teach her kids how to tell time. Like they're having a blast oh, with it actually, which has been fun to watch. She totally would be awesome. I could see her yeah. being awesome at that actually. Yeah, it's been fun. They are definitely figuring it out, but they're really enjoying it. So, <laughs> so Jill, you've spent nine months in Lesotho, serving at Beautiful Gate. How would you describe what God was up to in your life leading up to the decision to, to spend the summer after graduating from high school in a different country? Yeah, so it's kind of a funny story. It was not at all what I expected for myself. So the summer beforehand, Mr. Verkike leads trips to Beautiful Gate every summer. And it, I had always heard chapels about it, and it had been something I had been interested in but just like as other things came up it kind of fell on a back burner and I hadn't sure. thought about it very much and then that year for some reason he was having trouble filling a team and this had never happened before usually there's like quite high demand for this trip and it fills up quite quickly but for some reason this year he had to actually seek people out so I was actually like two weeks late to the application process I applied kind of thinking I wasn't even super interested but I was like I kind of just feel like I should apply and see what happens. Um, but I'm not even really sure that I want to go. And so I just applied, still kind of thinking that that wasn't going to be a reality for me. But I got accepted and some scholarship things to the scholarship committee fell into place and God just opened a lot of doors. And so I went the first time, not even expecting to go, which is so God's hand in all of it, because then um, he called me back. And obviously, he couldn't have called me back if I didn't go in the first place. So that's a cool story in and of itself. But I got back from the, those two weeks that summer at Beautiful Gate and just it was a whole whirlwind of emotions. I felt like I loved Basutu culture and I loved the people and I felt like I just didn't have adequate time to build the relationships that I wanted with those people. I um, 
wanted to expand on getting to know the people that I had met so briefly. And, and so I felt like that was cut short. And at the same time, like, I just felt like I had my heart broken in a way that I had never experienced before. I had never been that close to that extreme poverty or vulnerable children in that way. And so I just couldn't not respond. And so I started praying about what does my response look like? And is that something that I am going to respond to in this season of my life? Or is that something a lot farther down the road? And God just, I really felt like he was like on my heart to go back long term. So I went through that application process and got accepted. And then I left in June. Jill, you mind my asking, what were some of the things you were afraid of? I mean, I, I'm just thinking back to my senior year. I, I don't think serving for nine months for, for the summer before, you know, this next stage of life, I don't think that would have been on my radar. Uh, and ha- had it been, I think I would have probably had some fears or anxieties. What were you thinking? Did you have anything that really made you nervous before taking this leap of faith? Yeah, I mean, naturally, I was nervous about homesickness. And that ended up being a reality. Like there were days where I really missed my people back from Michigan. But God really met me in that too. And so that ended up being really beautiful. But that was something I was nervous about. My family has been close my entire life. And so I had never, the longest I had ever gone without seeing them before I left was two weeks. And so obviously, nine months felt pretty daunting. (laughs) Um, And then probably slightly less worried about this, but I was worried about sickness. Just because when you go short term, they talk a lot about like, make sure you don't drink the water, make sure you're being really safe, because it's just a different environment than what we're used to. And I talked to a friend before leaving who had also gone to Beautiful Gate long term, and she was sick a lot. And so I was just nervous that that I wasn't going to be able to serve to the best of my ability due to sickness. Um, but thankfully, that was not a reality for me. I was pretty healthy the whole time. So I was grateful for that. Hmm. Awesome. I love you use the phrase, God met me in that. That's just such a wonder. I just love that so much. God inviting us to take a step of faith, but always showing up when we do, providing in unique, special ways. I think that that really send down deep roots into the relationship we have with him. For sure. Okay. So in your blog, you talked about uh, having a really hard time, and I totally understand this, having a hard time putting putting those things into words a lot of the things you experienced, the people you met. So now you've been back for just a couple of days. How have you have you found any <laughs> words yet? How have you been describing describing this to the people in your life back home? Yeah. I think what I've come to realize is the reason it's so hard to put it into words is because there is not one word to sum up the whole experience because it was mm-hmm. so many things. And so I'm kind of learning like just to to talk about all of the emotions, because the reality of it is it was incredibly joyous. And there were so many incredible things that I got to witness. Like I got to see kids meet forever families. And I got to see kids learning about Jesus and growing up in a place that they're loved. Um, And the kids are just a blast. Like it was so fun to be able to love them. And I got to develop really incredible and deep relationships with the staff and um just so many good things. But at the same time, it was really difficult. And it was lonely. And there was a lot of death. We had a baby die on campus while I was there. And then less than two weeks later, my uncle here lost his fight with cancer. And then the following month, the pastor from the church down the road got murdered. Like I just had a front row seat to a lot of brokenness. And then the reality of it is like, loving vulnerable children in and of itself, you see a lot of brokenness. Um, 
and I was living in the second highest HIV prevalent country in the world. And so just, um, I, it was so good, but it was so hard. And I think I'm learning that to properly express that I need to talk about both sides of the experience. Yeah. Yeah. I remember reading, were you given a name by your house mother? Yeah. So Beautiful Gate houses 75 children and at their maximum capacity, and that's spread out between five different houses. And so as a long-term volunteer upon your arrival at Beautiful Gate, you're assigned to one specific house that has a maximum capacity of 15 kids, and there's four house mothers. So, um, And the house mothers all kind of rotate through a different schedule, um, and but there's always two working at a specific time. And so... Um, in Basutu culture, names hold really high importance. And so it's it's typical that once a house mother gets to know you a little bit, they'll assign you a Sasutu name. And I knew this going in from my, my short-term time. Someone had told me that that was a thing. And so I was excited to hear what my house mothers would name <laughs> yeah. me. But I didn't want to like ask because I wanted it to happen naturally. And so I was really looking forward to it. And it was the sweetest moment. It was actually so during bath time in the houses at Beautiful Gate, it's like the sweetest moments ever. But it's so much chaos because all the kids get undressed at the same time. And then they're all running around the house. And we're like, trying to herd them all into the bathroom. Like it is mad chaos. And so I'm like running around trying to chase my kids into the bathroom. And in the middle of all of this, my house mother said, I was a Jillian. I need you to come over here. I have something to tell you. And she just sat me down and she said, like, in Basutu culture, we like to name our daughters. And we think of you as our daughter now. So we're going to name you Ausi Retabile, which means sister of happiness in Sasutu. And she just sat me down. Yeah. And I thanked her for it. And I I expressed that um, I was so grateful that she had taken the time to see that in me. And then it was back to bath time chaos and we went on with our lives. Um, but it was, it was a sweet moment for me and definitely one that I'll treasure for a while. Sister of happiness. Is it okay if I call you that from now on? Just Love call it. you sister of happiness. Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, and, you know, knowing you from school, that is a perfect name for you. I love that so much. Oh, That's thank really you. Thank you. Okay, so just can you give us a rundown of what would, maybe there are ones on an average day, but, but just a taste of what would just kind of a normal morning to evening look like for you at Beautiful Gate? Yeah, for sure. So we as volunteers start in the houses at 7 a.m. every like Monday through Friday. And so we would go in and we would start by making breakfast and then feeding breakfast to all of the kids. And then after that, we would do dishes and hang laundry. Um, And then after we hung laundry, we would go through all of the houses and collect all of the kids who were about six months to walking was the typical age range. And the volunteers were responsible for until about 1145, we would take all of those kids into one room and then work specifically on development with them. Because the reality is for um, kids living at an orphanage, they're typically farther behind developmentally just because there's not the possibility of as much one-on-one attention as there is in a family setting. Like that's just the reality of life for these kids. And so our job um, was specifically to try to get these kids to reach the next milestone, whether that's sitting well or starting to crawl or walking or standing on their own. We would just spend that time working specifically on those next steps. And so that was the majority of our days. Like that was kind of the biggest 
chunk was spent with that, that age group of kids. And so after we finished that time, we would all go back to the houses and bring all the babies back to their specific houses. And then we would do lunch, which is pretty similar to breakfast. We would dish out all the food, feed all of the younger kids, and then do the dishes. And then we had a lunch break for the volunteers up for about two hours in the afternoon. So, I mean, obviously, so that we could eat and get a little rest and stuff. And then My hat is off to you for <laughs> lunchtime with three little girls in my household is absolutely <laughs> nuts. And it's yeah. chaos and there's food everywhere. So I'm just picturing you with all these kids trying to to get everybody to eat. <laughs> yeah, it is definitely chaos sometimes. And it's funny because I started to learn they like some meals better than others. So I could mentally prepare myself going into lunch. Like, are they going <laughs> to eat this one? Or are they going to spit it all over the floor? Like I always knew how it was going to go based on what we were eating for lunch that day. Totally. Because the meals are oh, yeah. every week. And so I always knew what they would be having that day. And then after that is it's afternoon playgroup. So it's one hour and it's with all of the the kids who are walking well all the way up to the oldest kid at Beautiful Gate. And that time is so fun because all the older kids are back from school and we do a lot of dancing and playing with the balls. And um, those kids, that age group at Beautiful Gate has the best English. So they're easier to communicate with. And so we, we had that hour with the older kids and then it's, dinner, which we feed them, we do the dishes. And then depending on the day is bath time, which I already said is sweet chaos. <laughs> and then after we finish dinner dishes, the volunteers are done with their responsibility for the day. The kids will stay out and play sometimes in the houses. So sometimes if I didn't have anything to do at night, I would stay and play with them or read to them after that. But after dinner dishes, then our responsibilities for the day were done. So I got to go to Beautiful Gate for just, it was this whirlwind trip. We were only there for probably three days with some other Bible teachers. One thing, just a memory that stands out to me is the singing. Yeah. Can you tell me what, yeah. what the singing was like? And it, I know it's probably a frustrating question to try to describe <laughs> something so so beautiful, but how would you describe it? Yeah, it's definitely holy noise, I would say for sure. It's beautiful. <laughs> um, so most of the songs, especially at the beginning, most of the things that they sing are in Susutu. And so I didn't totally know them all the time, but it was really cool to start to learn and understand some of the words that they were singing. But typically, um, when you heard it most was during chapels. And then also anytime there was a ceremony of any kind, there was always singing and dancing, like always. It's mm -hmm. a very important part of their culture. And one of my favorite things ab about it is they, their singing expresses a lot of emotion. And that's kind of how they respond to emotion too. Like when, when we're celebrating and something is really happy, the response is to like sing songs about joy and they're always really enthusiastic. And like spontaneously? Just yeah. Kinda... Yeah. So like, hmm. but then like when we're sad and when, when we're grieving, then they'll sing, but they'll sing songs that are sad. And so it, it's always like a kind of a spontaneous response to emotion. And then in ceremonies and stuff, they also sing during every transition. So like if you're switching speakers, there's a song. If you're switching like parts <laughs> of the ceremony, there's a song. Like there's a song for everything. <laughs> Oh man, we we might need to adopt that at the high school instead of bells. <laughs> we just burst out into singing while we go to the next class. I, I think, think the so. high schoolers would, would really like. That, I think yeah. they probably would. Yeah. <laughs>
You know, that that's so cool. I'm just thinking about, I don't know, Mr. Rogers was probably before your time, but a lot of what Mr. Rogers and then still today shows like Daniel Tiger, like they're, they're basically teaching kids about their emotions. And it's not unusual to interact with adults who you can tell didn't didn't have a chance to like understand or process or be able to articulate even their own emotions. Mm-hmm. And just thinking about being able to sing when you're experiencing either you know really high high or low low or in between mm-hmm. being able to take those emotions and and do something with them i think that's so important developmentally yeah it was beautiful for sure tell me jillian what was it like seeing an adoption ceremony i i think seeing adoption is probably the closest picture of heaven that i have been able to witness um oh. it is really beautiful and i'm pretty sure that there was not a single ceremony that i got to see that i didn't cry at some point in they're all just like so uniquely special so typically the family comes and they pick up their child and that's the gotcha day and then they spend about two weeks bonding with the family in lesotho they're required to stay in the country for two weeks And then somewhere near the end of that time, they come back to Beautiful Gate for a ceremony. And it's always just so beautiful to see like how closely the kids and the parents can bond just in those those two weeks. And so really the whole ceremony is just celebration. Um, There's time for the family to talk. There's time for the mothers at Beautiful Gate to talk. The director talks. And one of my favorite moments in every ceremony, this one just gets me every time, the specific house mother from that that child's house will come up and they'll come and they'll hold the kid and everyone will sing while they they hug their child and then at the end of the song they hand this child back to their their new adoptive mother and it's just like the be- mm. the most beautiful picture of the people who who loved this child while they were at beautiful gate and now the person who gets to continue loving this child um it is just so beautiful wow. Yeah, so that was probably my favorite moment in every ceremony. And then one thing that I love that Beautiful Gate does is every child, when they get adopted, we put together a scrapbook of pictures of that child well throughout their whole time at Beautiful Gate. And so for some of the babies, it's only like a couple pictures because I haven't been there for that long. But there are, I got to see some of the older kids get adopted and they just had pages and pages of pictures of their their whole childhood. And that is usually really touching for the families as well, because, um, I mean, you miss so much of your own child's life while they're there. And so I think it's really beautiful that Beautiful Gate provides them with with pictures. And I watched a little girl. She was the oldest girl at Beautiful Gate at the time when she got adopted and she got her scrapbook and she was flipping through it with her parents. And she kept saying, oh, this is my friend. Oh, and this one, this is my friend. And every single picture, she just kept saying, this is my friend and this is my friend. And the fact that she'll get to remember that and that her parents get let in on that is really cool. So those are a couple of my favorite parts about ceremonies. I just marvel at the insights you'll have into the heart of God, having been able to witness and experience such a precious, powerful, sacred moment as an as an adoption. Yeah, uh, and that you'll you'll be able to know God intimately, having had that experience the rest of your life. Have that kind of that picture. It's so interesting. You know, so often the pictures or descriptions God uses in the scriptures to talk about. Uh, his relationship with his kids, it, it changes you after you actually get a taste of that metaphor. Yeah. I think about, I think about fatherhood is the one that that's been on my heart a lot lately as a as a dad. Every day that that comes to mind, 
it's like you get to walk into a metaphor that that God uses, a way, mm -hmm. a picture God uses to describe the way he thinks about his kids. And you with, with adoption in particular, you'll never read the scriptures when, when the Apostle Paul talks about adoption. I, I don't think you'll ever read those the same. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. And it's really, it's interesting to me how in different seasons of my life, different characteristics of God seem like most hmm. applicable. And it, God as a father really came alive for me in the past nine months because I just had to process a lot of a lot of things like is the reality that these kids don't have earthly fathers going to affect their view at, of God as a father and and what mm. does God as a father look like for for kids who don't have earthly parents and so just processing through all of that I got to appreciate God as my own father even more deeply. And I really felt like that characteristic of him is something that I came to appreciate more deeply when I was spending all of my days with kids who don't know hardly any father figures because they, oh, wow. yeah, because they have mothers in the houses. But I mean, the closest thing that these kids have to a father figure is like the men that work in the office or the maintenance men, but not, there aren't even men like living in the houses that they're living in. So they really have no picture of what a father is. I had a wow. a little boy in my house and we had a a team come and visit with um it was a team of adults and so there was an an adult male that was working in my house for that week and this little boy came running up to me and he said, "Ousie Jillian, you need to meet my new father." And then introduced mm -hmm. me to this volunteer and the fact that his his picture of a father is someone that can come and will be gone in two weeks just like really broke my heart. That was mm. the closest thing he knew to a father. And so just having to to process that, that that's all they know, but then also be so thankful that God claims that he is a father and that they will always have him. That was really comforting mm. for me. And they'll probably know Jesus as house mother as well. <laughs> in one of your blog posts, for you sure. wrote something along the lines of, of seeing Jesus in these house mothers and grabbing a hold of that metaphor. I mean, especially as you're talking about so many of the thankless things you did for these kids and the way these house mothers serve consistently and, and in a way that not only will will very few people notice, but also these kids, especially the the infants, they're probably not going to remember this. You know, the mm -hmm. these fundamental developmental steps that these mothers and you are taking with them so that they can continue onto the next thing and grow up and be healthy. That that's just a picture to me of how God is often without even my awareness is is up to something painstakingly caring for his kids. Yeah, the mothers at Beautiful Gate are absolutely incredible. Like they will if anyone ever has the opportunity to meet them, I guarantee they will change your your life and perspective. And I think that they were a big reason that I fell in love with Beautiful Gate in the first place was just seeing their hearts of service. They are incredible. As a teacher, I often think about education and realize a lot of education happens, like the real stuff of education happens in experiences outside the classroom, especially when you're stretched in unique ways. What, what did that education look like for you? How was God teaching you, growing you? Now that you have a glimpse back at this nine months, what do you think God might have been up to in your life? The first thing that comes to mind, especially in my my first couple 
months at Beautiful Gate, the Lord taught me a ton of surrender just over and over again. And it, it started in really small ways. I think the first time I can like really remember learning it is I had some clothes stolen off the laundry line. And I felt like, mm. and it, it doesn't sound like a big thing, but when I had just moved across the world and I was still overwhelmed and trying to figure it out, it made me feel like I didn't, I never felt like unsafe, but it just made the reality of not being in the States real to me. And so that was kind of the first time I learned surrender. And then it just like progressively got, got bigger, like, um, and it kind of ended in, so partway through the college that I was going to run at ended up, um, cutting their cross country program and God was faithful in that too. And the marathon kind of was a result of me processing, what do I do now? But I had to surrender the sport that I love and and realizing that I wasn't going to be able to participate in that anymore. Um, And then following that was my uncle's passing. And so I had to surrender um, not only losing him, but then not being with family as everyone was processing that. And so over Mm -hmm. and over again, he told me, I am all that you need and you need to surrender anything else that you might be holding too tightly. So I would say that's probably the the biggest lesson I learned, especially at the beginning wow. of my time. You experienced not only the death of a child, but you mentioned your uncle Troy passed away. Mm-hmm. I, I guess I don't quite know my question. Maybe uh, did God provide people to comfort you or help you process? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was not easy. And both of those two events happened within two weeks of each other. So it was a lot of grief to process quite quickly. Um, so with the the baby that passed away at Beautiful Gate, um, Kennedy, Kennedy Schoonveld, who was my roommate at the time, and I got invited to go to the hospital um, that morning mm. to, to go in and see this baby because she had, she hadn't been at beautiful gate for about a week. She had been in the hospital that whole time and the nurse was going to check on her and invited us to, to come with. Um, and so we both went and it was one of the most devastating things that I have ever seen. Um, and I just, the only thing I could think was it is not supposed to be this way babies are not supposed to be that sick. And it was this tiny little girl and she was hooked up to so many machines and it was just absolutely heartbreaking. And so we spent that entire morning for multiple hours, just huddled around her bed, praying over her and for her um, with myself and Kennedy and the nurse and then the house mother that was staying with her at the hospital so long, just um, asking the Lord if it was his will to heal her. And then we got back to Beautiful Gates campus and probably less than two hours later, I was told that she had passed away in the hospital. And it was really hard to process because it's not supposed to be that way. Like that is just the reality of a broken world. And then it was the same with my uncle Troy. Um, he he had fought cancer for a while now. And so I, I knew that that was a reality, but it happened way faster than anyone expected. I did not leave even thinking that it was a possibility that I would miss that. And I I think I was a little, it happened really fast in my world because I I felt so far removed from it that I don't think I realized how serious it was. But I woke up on a, a Tuesday morning from a text from my mom saying, we're flying to South Carolina to be with family we think it's going to happen today. 
So I got that text, and then that day was just the craziest day. I was getting a new roommate from Germany. Kennedy was coming back to the States, and there was an adoption ceremony. And so it was just like a whirlwind oh, so day. Emotions. Yeah, and so like I, I kind of just that day put my head down and survived because I didn't know what else to do. And that night my uncle passed away. Um, and my whole family was in South Carolina together, which honestly was so gracious of the Lord that they could be together. But that that night, my uncle passed away. And then at the end of that whole day, I, I went in and told my house mothers what had happened and that I wouldn't be able to work the following day. And processing all of that was so difficult but because I was away from family. But in a way, like that month is kind of what made Beautiful Gate feel like family because they really stepped up and loved me so beautifully. Um, my each volunteer is assigned a mentor and my mentor was the volunteer coordinator at Beautiful Gate and his wife. So they, that day, I didn't go into work and they had me come over to their house and I was able to just spend some time processing and they had set up their whole guest room for me. And then um, my house mothers were so understanding. They, they took me into their back bedroom and prayed with me and told me that they were there for me and comforted me. Um, so they really stepped up in a beautiful way. I had a, a little boy. I tried as best that I could to not show those hard emotions to the kids because I know that it's just a lot for them to, to process through those things. But I had a little boy and he was so, he was always so aware of what I was feeling. And so he could tell that I was upset in, in the week following. And he, he came up to me and he said, Oh, see, Jillian, what is wrong? I know that you are sad. And then he asked me, are you getting on the airplane today? Because he knows that a lot of times when volunteers are crying, it's because they have to leave and go back to the States, which in and of itself is a sad reality that he knows that. But I said, no, I'm only sad because a very good friend of mine, he, he was very, very sick and he went to go and be with Jesus but I am going to miss him very much. And this little boy, he's five years old. He looked at me and he said, oh, can I pray for you? And it was like mm. the sweetest moment ever. And then he closed his eyes and the prayer that he said was, Father, we thank you for the food in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs> Which is what all of the kids say before every meal. And it was just like <laughs> the sweetest moment because he knew like, the reaction that we we have when people are sad is that we pray, but he didn't really understand like there are prayers besides Father, we thank you for the food. <laughs> but it was just like little things like that where the Lord met me in my grief through community there. Um, and I think because of that, my my time as a whole there, I had a better community than I would have without having to walk through all of that grief with those people. Wow. So like the reality it was lonely and I, I wished that I could have been he here, like with my people here. But at the same time, it, it made the rest of my time in Lesotho less lonely because I knew that those people loved me and would, would care for me. So in your most recent blog post, you wrote that leaving here is going to hurt profoundly. Explain what's going to hurt. I played a part in teaching them that it's okay for people to who love them to leave. Um, because I did. I legitimately really love those kids, and they know that. 
but I also had to come back to the States. And that's just the the reality of it. And so it was really hard for me to process, um, am I am I hurting these children and am I teaching them something that I shouldn't be? And I think the reality of it is I think that those that was the devil telling me lies because I know I know that I was called to love them and that I loved them the very best that I could for the time that I had. And, mm. and so I know that that was good, but I still had to process all of those things in leaving. And I miss them and I miss my mothers and I, I want to be able to be there for the people there. And so in the same way that I was homesick when I left for my own family back home, I feel like I'm homesick being home because I have family there now too. And it's so worth it for the joys of the relationships that I got to experience, but it's still hard. How would you describe the the Jill who got on an airplane back in June taking this leap <laughs> of faith? How is that Jill different from the Jill who got off a plane back in the States just a couple days ago? Because I had a lot of free time, like at night there and stuff, I fell in love with the word of God in a way that I had not in my entire life before. Hmm. Um, And one of the things that I actually committed to like a couple months into my commitment was that I wanted to read the entire Bible before I went back home. Um, And I had never read the like entirety of the Bible before. And that kept me really accountable to making sure that I was spending time in the word. And the more that I did, I just got so curious. And I, the more that I spent time in the word, the more that I learned to love it and, and love the Lord because of it. And so I would say the biggest thing is um, like, I, I have a closer relationship with God and a better love for his word coming back. And I think that's the biggest Mm. way that I've changed. And that's been really cool. And I actually, because I had to move my flight earlier, a week early, ended up being a little short of finishing the entire Bible while I was there. but I, (laughs) I stayed on track. So that was good. Um, but that was that's a big one for me. And then I think I'm just more aware of um, the world as a whole. And I think like I had to come face to face with a lot of brokenness and a lot of pain throughout um, my whole time there. And so I'm, I'm more aware that the world is really broken. But with that, I'm more aware of how faithful God is and how faithful he can be in the middle of brokenness. And so I just... Um, praise him for the way that he showed up again and again. And I think that I just have a better understanding of, of who he is and how he meets us in chaos. Jillian, you just, you, you have a maturity. I mean, you did before <laughs> leaving for a beautiful gate, frankly. Uh, but yeah, just, uh, just impressed by all the insights you've acquired and thankful to, to call you a friend. Thank you. Um, Hey, Jill, so right now there's somebody listening who has seen a chapel from people who've gone on a beautiful gate trip, um, and they've probably thought, you know, that sounds cool. Maybe that's something I'd like to do. Not quite sure. What would you say to someone in in that boat having spent the last nine months there? Yeah. Well, I would say first and foremost, pray about it and ask the Lord, is this is this what you have for me? And I think if it is, then... Um, it's our job to just take the first step and see if he opens the doors. And so I would say apply, apply to be on the team. And if you get accepted, apply for scholarships. And if God opens doors, just walk through them one at a time. 
Um, and if he closes them, then just sit, take a step back and say, I guess that that wasn't for me. But I would recommend walking through every door that he opens. And it, I promise anyone who goes like Beautiful Gate will change their life in some way. And so I obviously I'm a little biased because I love it, but I would recommend that experience to anyone that I could. And the volunteer coordinator at Beautiful Gate has this saying that he tells all of the teams when they go back home. And it's not everybody is called to Africa, but everybody has an Africa that they're called to. So even if even if Beautiful Gate is something that you pursue and you feel like God closes that door, I just want to encourage people that that is not the only calling and that God mm. still has big other plans to open doors for. What's ahead for you, Jill? Now you go <laughs> going to school. I I mean that's the idea. I guess probably <laughs> if this uh, coronavirus yeah, stuff so, ever ever goes away. Yeah, so there's a little bit of uncertainty of just what the future will look like right now in general. Um, <laughs> but if things yeah. clear up, the tentative plan right now is I got hired as a counselor at Camp Geneva. Uh, so oh if, yes, yeah. So if camp is still happening, I'm planning to be a Shores counselor. And then following that, I'll start school at Trinity International University. It's a small Christian college just outside of Chicago. Um, and I'm hoping to go into their pre-physician assistant program. Yes. Oh, that's so cool, Jill. That's yeah. amazing. And I just, I'm picturing you as a camp counselor telling all these <laughs> stories. That, that'll just be such a gift to, to the students you'll be with this summer. Yeah, I really hope that works out. I went to Camp Geneva like my entire childhood, and I always dreamed of being a counselor there. So I, I'm very excited. Oh, so cool. Yeah. Oh, Jill, doctor, I think the world of you. I'm so grateful. Thanks for trying out this new remote conversation. App. Yeah. I'm hoping this has all been recorded. If not, I'll call you in a few minutes and we'll have to do this whole thing over all again. Right. Sounds good. I'm just so thankful for you. And yeah, I'm looking forward to sharing this with, with our community for sure. Perfect. Thank you for having me. I'm honored. 